0: Welcome to the Wayback Chronicles podcast. My name is Keith Abbott, and I'm here with my lifelong friends, Noel Kirsch and Steve McKelkey. In the Wayback Chronicles, we discuss everything that's happened from 1970s to the present.
1: And the great thing is we're talking about 1978 right now, and what a cool year so far. So we've talked about music and, Mm -hmm. you know, Keith, do you still have your bell bottoms on?
0: I do, of course. I haven't even watched them yet.
1: <laughs> yeah, nice. Well, you know, I'm sure your wife has some concerns about that at this point. But uh, you know, you know, definitely, you know, music showed a lot of disco and uh, a lot of uh, you know small bands that turned into something big down the road, like Van Halen, and uh, and a lot of just awesome music from that year. And then, you know, Keith, you took us through you know a really cool path in world events and politics, and and i uh, really excited that that. Uh, that 1978 has brought so much cool stuff at, I was only five years old, Keith, you were, you were uh, six and I was, and Noah was four and, four. Uh, yep. um, and so, you know, we, I mean, we definitely, um, you know, learned a lot so far through this, through this whole process. So. Very cool yeah it's
0: it's funny to think you know world events with the stuff that we just have a glimmer of imagining of but what was interesting was seeing the progression of what when we got older kind of what it led into so I thought that yeah. was interesting and and then again the music playlist good Lord I mean I no <laughs> like that could be that could be on my playlist of today for as many yeah, of the songs yeah. that was yeah. on there. Folks, if you haven't listened to that music episode, you've got to hit the like button and, and subscribe. You got to hit the subscribe and download these podcasts and, and take a listen to that because it's just amazing. Yep.
2: Yeah, so, yeah. Yeah. I, so, I think when we were doing the music episode, I, I told you guys I'd listened to the shadow dancing. Like I, I went and Googled it while, ski, while Steve was talking and listened to it. And I thought I'd never heard that song before. Well, since it entered the playlist and I've been playing the playlist, like every time I get in my car. Shadow <laughs> Dancing by Andy Gibb has become like, I've, I've listened to that song probably 50 or 60 times. It is, it's really good. Another yeah. one that I, I told you guys about was the one by Samantha Sang and Bee Gees called Emotion. Oh, yeah. That's yeah, also in the yeah. play, the 78 playlist. Yeah. It's, uh, I hate to admit it that I like that one so much, but it's actually a pretty good <laughs> song. So, but yeah. yeah, it is,
0: it is really, really good. Um, really good playlist. Keith, good it job really putting is. it together that was fun yeah Yeah. so everybody subscribe to the podcast and go over to our facebook page follow our facebook page and download that playlist because it's a lot of fun
1: yeah absolutely Wayback chronicles is how you find us on on facebook so we're easy to find there
0: absolutely and on your favorite podcast platform just search for us yeah
1: i i helped
2: my mom find uh our podcast on spotify and she was like oh my goodness I can find my son on Spotify. This is so cool. Like,
1: yeah. <laughs> and YouTube. Yeah. And a whole bunch other places. yeah,
2: we're we're on YouTube. I didn't want to blow her mind, so I'll just left it at that. Right. He was impressed with that. So
0: does she have an Alexa device?
2: She she has one of the oldest iPhones. I think still
0: like in okay. in operation. But okay, yeah. fair enough. Yeah. All right. So yeah, if you're if you're bored yeah. cooking in the kitchen one night, all you got to do is ask Alexa to play The Wayback Chronicles two, and it'll start right up. So there yep. you go. There you go. That's true. So, that's, that's true. Anyway, I mean, so perfect
1: time to listen to us. That's
0: right. <laughs> yeah.
1: So so today, uh, you know, we're going to talk about 1978 technology, and and no one I know. Well, it's probably pretty close, but maybe give a little edge to Noel from the from the technology oh, 100%, 100%. factor. Hundred um,
0: percent, hundred percent.
1: So, so we finally have our technology guy talking about technology. Technology. So, so, <laughs> so you know, this 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 only makes sense. You know, technology guy from Texas Tech University, and so all right, Noel, looking forward to hearing what you're going to share about 1978 tech. So let's roll. Well, I have done
2: quite a bit of of uh, research. I think um, had couple weeks here since the last time we recorded and so i've had a little bit of time to do some research and i kind of dug in pretty deep on a few of these there's 14 items on my little spreadsheet here that i put together and um i'm hoping that i can cover this and do it some justice because 1978 technology when i when we first were doling out the um categories or different uh, topics i guess for us to go and research and i got technology i'm like wow This is going to be pretty dull because you don't think we think (laughs) 1978, at least me, I'm just thinking 1978. Don't really think technology, but Mm -hmm. I'm about to to blow your minds. I think on a few things, it certainly blew mine when I started researching, digging into this, but okay. So in 1978, a technology that you guys use, I guarantee you probably use this today. If you had food delivered to your house, it was used. If you had Amazon that delivered something to your house, they use it. Um, it's on your cell phones. It's used by your cell phones. And I'm going to give you guys uh, give you guys a guess as to what this technology is. But it started in 1978. Any
1: guesses? I'm, I'm going to guess GPS. That's exactly <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> Steve, Steve cheated a little bit, uh,
2: but yes. Yeah, It is GPS. GPS, The very
0: (laughs) (laughs) I totally screwed that one up. Yeah, you did. That's okay. That's why why I just kept my mouth shut right then. In
2: 1978, GPS technology got its got its first. That's when it first came onto the scene. So. Uh, you talk about some technology that has had a major impact on our on our world and on our society. It started in 78, so it's pretty cool. So in 78, they launched the first GPS satellite. It was an experimental satellite at that time, um, and it established the first GPS system. Going way back to 1957, the Russians launched Sputnik. Two American physicists were monitoring the radio signals being transmitted by the satellite. And they figured out that you could use something called the Doppler effect to determine the satellite's position in space. So another nerd asked these two nerds if they could figure out how to reverse the calculation <laughs> and basically figure out their position on Earth by calculating their distance from a signal transmitted to the satellite. So when Sputnik was up there, they were like able to figure out like the satellite's position. And all they did was they just reversed the calculation and used... The satellites known position and transmitted a signal and it came back to them and by that transmission they were able to figure out where they exactly where they were on earth so that was at that time in 1957 was kind of the theory the very beginnings the birth of gps That's and wild. so from 1957 to 1978 they did a lot of research and a bunch of nerds got together and they were figuring out how to, you know, how to do this. And they were starting to understand how this technology could be used. And the U S military really started in 1972 conducted flight tests of GPS receivers over the white Sands missile range, basically using kind of pseudo satellites that were not actually in orbit, but they were actually just hovering in the air. Um, And they were basically able to, um, test having satellites in space and doing this kind of GPS technology, basically in our atmosphere it was kind of what they did back in 1972. And then from 72 to 78 is when they started building the satellites and developing this plan to put satellites into space. And so they did that. And then <clears throat> by 1985, they had all the, they had 10 of these block one GPS satellites launched into space and the GPS concept really, came into full effect. Basically, they had all the technology in place they needed to actually do GPS as we know it today. Um, Ronald Reagan. Yeah. Yeah. I thought it it was really cool. It was originally designed to be used strictly by the military. And in 1983, a Korean 747 commercial airliner veered off course and flew into restricted airspace above Russia and was shot down. Killing 269 people on board the aircraft, and in response to this, President Reagan made the decision to make GPS available to civilians as well. So huh. it was it was back used by the the military going way back, um, and then the 83 747 um, commercial airliner that that crashed or was shot down really um, caused him caused Reagan to say GPS really should be available to civilians, although he directed the military to make a degraded signal available to civilians due to cold war concerns. So he didn't want to make that GPS technology available to the Russians to give them advantage in the military cold war that was going on at that time.
1: Yeah. That that makes sense. And yeah, I I tell you, I I really appreciate GPS. And and as you were talking, I'm thinking about, well, how often do I use it? Well, Mm -hmm. probably more than I realized. I mean, I use it today, driving around town but my favorite part about GPS is whenever Amazon notifies me that they're 10 stops away. <laughs> and, 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 uh, and like, I can't wait to like, you know, track it, see where they're on the map, see how much closer they're getting. And of yeah. course, whenever they get to my house to deliver, I never want to be over eager so I yeah. so wait for the driver to put him <laughs> on the front porch, then get back in the car, and then I go grab my package. I mean, thank God so, you, you know, so
2: uh, you don't want the Amazon driver to think you've been sitting there wait, what you know, stalking him as he drives down the yeah, street, basically. Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah Not that yeah, I mean, It's only coffee filters. How can I be that excited? But uh, <laughs> hey, <laughs>
2: yeah, it's funny it's funny but um
0: i'll I'll tell you here's something funny here's a little side story to this right so Mm -hmm. we were going to our camping trip a couple of weeks ago and here's here's how steve is dependent on the text messaging amazon system right so we were trying to make this wiffle ball golf game that we were going to play in the campsite that went over (laughs) like a lead balloon by the way so anyway (laughs) but so so. We figured out that it wasn't going to make it to my house on time because I live in the sticks, right? So we had it Amazon delivered to Steve's house. Well, like it was delivered and it had been there, and Steve's like texting me like, "Hey man, when are, when are the whiffle balls supposed to get here?" And like I pull up Amazon and there's like I take a screenshot of the picture that shows that it's at his doorstep, and, and I send it to him like, "It's there, dude." So, yeah. So that's, that's how been, he's gotten on his tracking. Like, the night in a he has no idea, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm
1: useless. My brain my brain's dead now thanks to GPS. Yeah. yeah.
0: yeah. GPS has right.
2: replaced a small part of everybody's brain at this point. Totally, but totally. Just imagine, like, if you think back to, like, the early days of, like, Domino's Pizza when they delivered pizzas to you for – you know, and then under 30 minutes or less, like they did that without any
0: GPS directions
2: back in the day. I mean, that's pretty amazing.
0: I, Um, I just, I'm, I'm dumbfounded at taxi drivers in big cities. How in the world did they do that? You know, yeah, crazy. Yeah. Well,
2: they, so back in 89, well, so, okay. So I'm going to kind of fast forward a little bit. So they, um, the U S government launched more like next generation GPS satellites between 1989 and 1990. And then the Gulf war 1990 is the first war that used GPS. And so, but the GPS like equipment, and I've got a picture of this to show you guys. Um, but the GPS equipment was pretty big. Like it was not like the portable, it was basically like the size of a laptop or a little bit bigger. And so like they had these GPS units that were inside, inside the Humvees and then like a, like a, like an ice maker size, you know, like a, a freestanding ice maker size was the size of the GPS units that we use and like the ships and stuff like that. So that, um, started off a project to create a handheld GPS unit, um, uh, which was completed by, uh, 1995. GPS was, was declared, you know, basically, well, They developed a a smaller handheld unit size it was small enough to like fit inside like inside your palm basically um and uh so in 2000 president clinton issued an order to make the the same signal that was available to military available to all citizens and that's really when it became like a thing for citizens was in by that order in 2000 and in 2004 Qualcomm successfully tested GPS technology, portable enough to fit into a cell phone. So in 1995 was like when the Tom Toms came out and things like that, yeah. that GPS signal was not that great, but it was still a GPS signal, um, small enough to fit into your car. I had one, um, yeah, me too. yeah, it was it was still very primitive uh, back in 95. And then in 2000, it took a leap forward when Clinton made the same signal that the, that the military was making available to everybody and then it became basically small enough to fit inside a cell phone in 2004 and the rest as they say is history so but it all started in 1978 so gps wow. yeah big
0: deal big deal Yeah, for sure. So it's almost, it's almost worth talking about on two podcast episodes. Don't you think? Yeah. 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 I mean, I'm having
1: a little deja vu maybe. (laughs) I remember
0: when I I said that and I said it and I was like, oh crap, that's technology.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Hey, but you know, the fact that two presidents held forward that. Yep. Yeah. Totally made it a world politics and world events.
0: Yep. There you go. There That's, you go. True. That's true. Silky
1: segue between the two. 1978,
2: the next like event, it's not really like a big event, but this kind of could also fit too in the uh, U.S. events and politics, I guess. But it was the first time in 1978 was the first time a computer was installed in the White House. So hmm. um, U.S. government had funded many computing projects going back to the 40s, but it wasn't until the Carter administration that a computer was actually installed in the White House. So Interesting the Hewlett Packard HP 3000 computer, which I looked this up on a, on a Google search thing is, is like a large freezer and refrigerator side by side. It's like that. (laughs) Think about that big. It's huge. Like a commercial freezer and refrigerator. Like those. I see it here. Wow. Massive, massive. So every staffer was given a terminal. Yeah, there you go. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah. it's huge. So every staff was given a terminal to access it because they couldn't have these big refrigerator units at each desk. So they all just connected to it, and all the computing was done on the big refrigerator thing. But that's what it was. And then they acquired a Xerox Alto printer. um, And the the printer is equally ridiculous, but that's really pretty much what they use it for was – printing stuff off, printing memos and things like that. It was pretty, pretty early, early days, but I thought Find that was
0: dot matrix available or what? Yeah,
2: pretty much, pretty much. <laughs> but I thought that was kind of uh kind of interesting, but that's cool. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I bet, I bet that computer threw off some heat.
2: Oh, oh I oh, bet it, it did, it. man. You know it. I bet it did. Had all the spinning, the spinning stuff and the, the tubes and stuff yeah. like that, vacuum yeah. tubes inside it and everything. So it was, yeah, Wow. Nothing, nothing like what we've got today for sure. But um, okay, so I'm gonna ask you guys a trivia question. So this is the next one. But its original name um, was called Reflective Optical Video Disc System. What do you think that was? Laser actually? disc. Yes. Later, it was known as Disco Vision. Was what they originally oh, wow. called it. it. Was Disco Vision. Back in 1978, but it was later known as Laser Vision. and then after that was known as Laser Disc, But DiscoVision, DiscoVision was what it was the name it was first released under in December 1978, and it was only released in one market, Atlanta, Georgia. Which huh. don't ask me that why no. it was it was it was released only in Atlanta, Georgia. But the player itself cost seven hundred dollars, which in 1978 dollars and today's dollars that's twenty three hundred dollars.
0: That's pricey. For a laser disc player.
2: That's pricey. This was not widely used by a lot of people, but um, you all want to guess what the first movie to be released on disco vision was? It just came out in 78? 78.
1: Wow. Think about a movie. Star Wars?
2: Think about a movie. No, that's a good guess, but think about a movie that was kind of groundbreaking, um, I'll give you a hint, Steven Spielberg movie.
0: Okay, oh. uh, Close Encounters.
2: No, nope, it's a good guess, too.
1: Uh, ET,
2: nope, that was 80, that was in the 80s. Um, no. it was Jaws. It was oh, really oh yeah, okay, on okay. It. So, oh, it had, had the best sound and best, you know, visual, uh, yeah, of any player on the market at that time. So, they wow, initially is a success with the player selling out across Atlanta. So, apparently. Atlanta was scooping these things up left and right, Um, and then it did move on to other markets after kind of the success. It was tested in Atlanta, then it moved on to other markets. But um, it was entered laser. Then it went through a name change. Laserdisc was introduced by um, MCA and Philips, and then um, it uh, basically it was offered as like the better audio and video quality than than anything else on the market. Uh, But it was so expensive that. Um, it never really took hold, uh, and it, it did gain significant popularity in parts of Asia, but, um, it was kind of the forerunner to the CD and DVD. So they kind of took that same technology, took the technology that was good for the audio part and DVD part, I'm sorry, the video part, and then use that same technology to to release what we know today as the CD and DVD. But again, that was the first time that was ever released was in 1978. So I thought that was those, kind of those cool.
0: things were record player size. Yeah. 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 Massive. Yeah, they were huge. And they're right.
2: two sided too. So like between yeah. in the movie, the movie would stop and say flip over and you had to flip it over just like a record. Yeah. So,
1: yeah. yeah. I remember a kid in my neighborhood had, had one, one of those. And, and remember the father always talking about how expensive those discs were. Oh yeah. And so like, you, yeah, I don't remember seeing anybody that had the laser disc system that had a lot of the actual disc just because of the price. So probably why they quickly disappeared.
2: Yep. Yep. That's for sure. For sure. Yeah, I don't know that I would have let my kids be flipping around a disc that costs that much, you know, like Mm -hmm. you just scratch it and be like, do not touch that. I'll break your face off. But (laughs) yeah. (laughs) anyway, I thought that was kind of cool. So (laughs) this is a, this is the next one. So Texas Instruments Inc. introduced the Speak and Spell in 1978. It was Love a thing. oh man, totally. I don't know how many times, how many hours I wasted playing with that thing. And mm. um, we have friends that can do the Speak and Spell voice. And <laughs> I don't know if I want to try it, but I've I, we have a good friend of ours, and we won't, won't say his name on the podcast. But y'all know who I'm talking about that can do the Speak and Spell voice. It's so funny. <laughs> By initials that's a, SB, that's the one. Yeah. That's the one. <laughs> I used to crack up like, "Hey, say this, say this." He'd say it. Oh my gosh, he had that voice down <laughs> perfect. Oh but yeah, totally. I thought it was kind of interesting that it was really started by speaking spell technology. It, they weren't trying to create a toy at that time. They were using technology. It was used to, um, like, basically, it was it was used to be an electronic duplication of the human vocal tract on. Um, basically to kind of and help people that had like medical conditions where they didn't have their own voice. So it was kind of used as a substitute for that. Um, and then Interesting. it was using what's called LPC or linear predictive coding, um, which is the, the precursor to the voice over IP technology that we use heavily today. Um, so this all started back in 1972, a bunch of you know engineers we're uh, really working on technology again, like the, the linear predictive coding that became um, really kind of the technology behind voice over IP or VoIP uh, technology that we use today for almost all of our phone systems these days. So, the um, thought that was kind of interesting, but it started, it was kind of technology they were using. And then Texas Instruments was like, hey, you know what? We could do this to like make this toy that could help teach kids how to speak and spell. So, that's what they, that's what that's they cool. did. That's cool. But yeah. I didn't know that story. Yep thought that was kind of kind of cool but development began in 1976 with an initial budget of $25,000 which is a pretty big budget if you think about it um, yeah. what that is in yeah. today's dollars but that's not a small budget but
1: Mm-mm. anyway did, did y'all also have the speaking math when you were kids
2: I didn't have that one I didn't have that one yeah it yeah. may explain a lot so why I suck at math but <laughs> <laughs> didn't have that one did you yeah. have that yeah oh yeah yeah nice uh, Um, we kind of have a couple, the next ones are kind of a couple medical, um, there was a lot of medical technology breakthroughs in 1978. So the first one, which is by far the biggest one of the two, um, was a, the very first test tube baby was born in named Louise Joy Brown. So this is in vitro fertilization or IVF, uh, which we know today it's procedure that was pioneered in Britain and she was born luis was born on july 25th 1978 and so her parents leslie and john brown had been trying to conceive naturally for nine years but leslie was faced complications of uh, blocked fallopian tubes and so they really tried to you know couldn't have a baby and so this technology or this um, procedure was developed in britain and they were the first ones to try it and uh, it resulted in the the baby being born. So it was kind of like this breakthrough moment um in medical technology in 1978. And so um an article I found in my research from 2018, from 2018 reported that over eight million babies have been born from IVF since 1978. So wow. That's, that's amazing. pretty that's pretty insane. That's, <laughs> so wow. The the whole procedure was termed the the test to babies, but really in in reality it's not not born in a test tube at all. Their conception actually takes place in a, in a Petri dish and then it's injected into the mother. But um, anyway, I thought that was kind of pretty amazing. That's
0: wild. Oh, yep. heck yeah, it is.
2: Yeah. I've known, I know people can name names of people that have, have had that procedure and their babies are among one of those 8 million babies. So I thought that was kind of a, yeah. kind of a really cool, cool thing from, from 1970. I didn't, didn't realize that. So I thought that was yeah. pretty
0: cool science technology at its best right there. Yeah, Yeah,
2: totally. For sure. So, um, the next medical breakthrough was, uh, they developed the genetically engineered insulin. So the first genetically engineered synthetic human insulin was produced using of all things E. coli Hmm. in 1978 by two doctors. I'm not going to try to say their name, but, um, at the Beckman research Institute of the city of hope in collaboration with Herbert Boyer at Genentech. So, um, yeah, a bunch of names that I'm not going to read out here, but um, it was the first available biosynthetic human insulin um, that was ever ever developed. And so that that kind of um, that prior to that, it was kind of developed using a um, more difficult process and kind of using things that were a little bit more hard to come by. Um, this was actually used using safflower, uh, the safflower plant. So they were using that to kind of develop the, um, the insulin and stuff, but anyway, kind of cool.
0: It's it, it, that, that right there is an amazing story that you can take down a rabbit hole. I mean, oh, yeah. I yep. just, just the whole race against time, a small company that created this um, with a group of scientists and you know, there were other companies that were huge that were trying to compete with that. And I just, mm-hmm. I think that you know, there, there are some instances in our show that I go back and I think that deserves its own time. And I think that's one of them. Yep. So that was pretty cool. Pretty cool. Pretty yeah. cool.
2: Um, <clears throat> this next one, um, I, I kind of really nerded out on this one. So I have plenty of time. You guys are texting each other. I can tell.
0: So no, we're not. I'm, 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 I'm playing with We
1: had we had deja vu uh, again on the insulin story. Really? (laughs) I've got a bad memory, man. I can't remember that. (laughs) I mean, it's not you've had nothing going on. Yeah. (laughs) yeah, Um, Y'all both delivered it beautifully. It's a nice (laughs) though.
2: All right, Space Invaders was invented in 1978. It's the it was the first like shoot 'em up arcade game developed by Tomohiro Nishikado. You may have to say it like that, otherwise you just can't say it. But
0: yes, exactly.
2: Nishikado drew inspiration for the game from early shooting games like Breakout from 1976 and Gunfight from 1975. 75. Um, he also thought this was interesting. He drew inspiration from War of the Worlds and Star Wars and an anime film I've never heard of called Space Battleship Yamato. And so the game, the Space Invaders game set many first in the video game industry that that shaped the way videos or game video games are developed even up to today. So like it was prior to that, there was a timer on most games like breakout was like a timer. you like, you only had so much time to do play the game. But Space Invaders was the first game to interact with the player with the enemies in the game responding to aim of the cannon and shooting back at the player. It was the first game that ever had that kind of, hey, I can be shot by this game and it can knock me out. It was also the first to popularize a player achieving a high score and the first to allow a player's score to be saved. Just think about those two things. Like those seemed like we just—that's just the way every game is these days. But this was the first right. one. This was like groundbreaking stuff back in oh, 1978. Absolutely. So um, it became the first game where you could like get your name upon a high score, you know, thing and whatever. And it was anyway. I thought that was—I thought it was kind of cool. It was also the first to eliminate the timer used by the games prior to Space Invaders, and the first to allow players to advance to the next level and continue their gameplay. So you can finish or finish a, it was the first game to introduce like this level, and then you finish this level, and you can advance to the next level, and on and on and on. Yeah. And um, it was the first game where players were given multiple lives. So if you died, you could come back, and you could play until all your lives are expended, mm-hmm. and then and on and on and on. So all these things like today sound like second nature, like it's just part yeah. of every game you play. But back then, this was like brand new stuff. Big deal. So, yeah, it was really. Really groundbreaking uh, game in a lot of respects, but
0: I tell you, um, I I can still hear in my head the sound of that game, the, the yeah. music, the explosions, yeah. the firing, everything. It was such a distinct sound. Like when you mm-hmm. walked into somewhere, you could instantly pick up that sound. Yeah, oh, yeah. the sound oh,
2: yeah. soundtrack was four simple diatonic descending bass notes repeating in a loop, which was dynamic and changed pace during stages, like the heartbeat that increased mm-hmm. as the increase of the. De- as the difficulty of the game increased. So it was again, one of the, that was one of the first of this game too, to actually have a soundtrack that was tied to the gameplay. To the game. it, yeah. No. Crazy. It was just so, so cool. But um, the game developers for such game legendary games as Donkey Kong, Mario, legend of Zelda, metal gear, Pokemon and doom all cited space invaders as their inspiration for getting into designing their respective video games. So, so it's kind wow. of the the birth really of of all those games really started was inspired by by space invaders but um other shoot up games such as defender asteroids galaxian and my personal date night favorite galaga galaga oh, <laughs> how galaga was like that <laughs> i played well, on our dates we would go to like the mall and go to the arcade and we'd play galaga and oh yeah um i mean it's it's just i don't wonder how many how many uh, couples these days that are married did the same thing as us? You know, it was kind of a, a date night thing, simple game, and just so
0: fun. But anyway, that's awesome.
1: So it's so cool the retro arcade games uh, <clears throat> places that are popping back now, and uh, I know yeah. we talked about them in the past episodes, but uh, I'm starting yeah. to hear see them even more and more now, which is super cool. Yep.
2: Yeah, that's sure. awesome. Um to say that uh, space invaders was a success is is an understatement so to date it has made a whopping 13 billion with a b since its wow. release in 1978 13 Jeez. billion <clears throat> so that's
0: I did some, crazy
2: i know i did some geeking out on 13 billion so 13 billion and quarters so it's a quarter you, play, you pay one quarter to play Space Invaders. So I figured out $13 billion is 52 billion quarters. Wow. <laughs> 52 billion.
0: That's a lot of coins.
2: So yeah. it, it gets worse. So each modern day quarter weighs 5.75 grams. So converted to pounds, 52 billion quarters weighs approximately 660 million pounds which
0: is a lot of quarters. Golly, that's a lot of quarters.
2: Each quarter is 0.955 inches wide. So if you laid 52 billion quarters side by side, it would stretch 4.1 billion feet, which is 783,775 miles. The earth's circumference is 24,901 miles. So if you laid 52 billion quarters side by side, it would go around the world 31 times.
0: Yeah. Oh so my gosh. That's a lot of quarters. That's a lot of quarters. <laughs> I love that illustration, man. I
2: kept, I kept digging on that. And Lin, I was, anyway, I was asking Lynn, I'm like, how many inches, this, this square feet, live miles and feet. And she was like, <laughs> <laughs> she knows all that stuff just off the top of her head. But anyway, I thought it was kind of cool. That's a lot of quarters. That's amazing. Yeah, that's amazing. So space invaders. That was cool.
0: That is totally.
1: awesome. You um, mentioned break. You mentioned breakout. Um, yeah, I, I saw that. I hate hate to think that might steal something from you, but they sold over a, a million cartridges in
2: 1978 in that mm-hmm. game
1: alone. Dang, I did not. Up, I did not catch it ended, that. Yeah, it ended up being the Atari 2600's 11th best selling game ever. Get yeah, that I had console. It
2: yeah i wouldn't it one of the did it ship with every didn't atari's 2600 come with breakout i think it did
0: i can't I, remember I, maybe it. later mine didn't yeah i never had breakout but I, yeah. I it probably did later it was probably one of those bundles you know
2: yeah or yeah i thought there was a game that shipped with uh, atari's 2600 at some point so
0: the was the was breakout the one where you used the paddle the dial yes. paddle right mm-hmm. instead yeah. of the yeah. joystick yeah. yeah
2: yeah you had to move the little thing down the bottom and make yeah. it, keep the ball, the ball in the yeah, yeah. <clears throat> yeah, that was that was uh, the good old days of uh, video games. Totally but, yes. Um, so the the first um, so this is the next one. So basically, this is another computer history thing. So the first public BBS or the first like bulletin board system uh, ever made was released in 1978. So I kind of wondered wow. if I should include this one, but really. It's kind of the early predecessor to the the online forums that we have have these days. Mm -hmm. So you know, it was kind of the the very first you know Reddit and um, all the different systems that we use today. So that kind of started back in nineteen seventy eight. It was called ARPANET. Was the first um, ARPANET, yeah, the first BBS system. So uh, Mm. ARPANET was kind of the early predecessor to email. Um, but it was also the the early uh, precursor to our modern-day online discussion forums. So it was... uh, Interesting. Yeah. Never heard of that one. Yeah, it's kind of interesting because the two guys that developed it were basically like, they were part of a group in Chicago called the Chicago Area Computer Hobbyist Exchange, or CASH. And they were... 1978, there was a really bad, called the Great Blizzard in 1978, hit Chicago. So these two guys were like, holed up in their homes with nothing to do. And so they started working on a computerized bulletin board system. They called it CBBS. And the system came into um, existence through, basically these two guys kind of created a, a computer that um, had a local, use a local phone line to establish a connection to other computers. And they allowed other people to connect into those computers you know, through the phone line, post a message, and then disconnect. So you could only have one person connected to the line at any one time. So they would call in, a person would call into the BBS, post their message, disconnect, and then the other person would connect, and they would see the message and respond to it. So as a one person in, and you could wait for, hours and hours and hours and get busy signals until somebody disconnected from it and you happen to grab the connection to the, <laughs> to the computer oh, wow. to post your message. That's so, crazy. Yeah. There was, they said they kept the count of callers and they had 20, 253,301 callers uh, called into that system before they finally retired it. But yeah, it was, wow. you talk about early, early goings, but um, just two guys bored out of their minds Like, hey, let's create some way for us to communicate with each other. Um, And so that's what they did. They came up with the the, uh, online BBS,
0: but pretty cool. That is wild.
2: Yep. Yeah. The next item is the um, email actually started in 1978. So obviously technology that we still use today, big, big technology that we still use today. Um, There's a lot of controversy about who the inventor of email is. Actually, there's kind of two different answers depending on who you ask. But um, there was a, a programmer called Ray Tomlinson um, that s- claims that he created the text mes- text-based text messaging between company computers through a network called ARPANET in 1971 was kind of the, mm. the, uh, the first email, using air quotes here. And then meanwhile, a person, a guy named VA Shiva, woo. Indian last name can't pronounce that. He built an electronic messaging platform in 1978 when he was 14 years old, basing it off the internal communication system at the University of Medicine and Dentistry in Newark, New Jersey. Uh, when he was at a 14 fellow. years old, at 14 years old. So, God, what a nerd. In 1982, the Ayoduri, the Shiva Ayoduri, the Indian uh, name was awarded the copyright for email, but still disputes today over who the true inventor of email was, but it started, that was kind of in 1978 was when he really kind of developed this platform. And then he ultimately was given the patent for email, but it started in 1978. So wild. Yep. That's wild for sure. So then my last two, I'm going to kind of bundle these together um, just in the interest of time, but um I'm using a spreadsheet. So this was the very first spreadsheet that was ever released. It was called VisiCalc. It hit the mm-hmm. market in 1978. Um, it, uh, to that day was, you know, spreadsheets use a whole lot of computing power. And so this was kind of like the first one that was used for like personal or business computers and um, didn't require massive volumes of computing power. So it's kind of what made VisiCalc like big in, in the marketplace. Of course it's been replaced. And then the other thing was WordStar was the, um, word processing application. Um, WordStar was used by, um, a lot of people. It's kind of like the first, like Microsoft Word back in the day. And then it got replaced, um, really because it just didn't, it didn't adapt. Like it, they didn't release, a. Uh, a good volume or a good uh, platform for mm-hmm. like windows. And so they kind of got left behind in the dust whenever windows kind of came on the scene. But mm-hmm. um, yeah, there's, thought it was kind of interesting the first spreadsheet and then the uh, word processor prior to word, their word processor. It was just a lot of electronic typers, typewriters and things like that, that was really kind of the early goings of the word processor, but um, these two things kind of released, but.
1: I actually remember WordStar because if I remember right, it was a uh, one of my parents' first computers was a Texas Instruments computer. That actually, had a little cartridges yep. that went went in for sort of like a twenty six Atari twenty six hundred. But uh, I remember my mom typing our the Christmas letter on, and WordStar and printing up on the dot really? printer. No we, way. Wow. Was, yeah, we we thought we were cool because we had to type Christmas letter. So. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs>
2: Yeah, it was, uh, uh, yeah, that was kind of a, kind of a cool transition that was taking place between the early seventies where it was all typing and typing and then WordStar came on the scene and it was a heavy, if you like to use like commands and things like that, like the command prompt, if you ever use, like if you ever use DOS and stuff, mm-hmm. it was heavy command prompt. Um, and so if that's what you like to do, then you can use WordStar. Of course, when Word came on the scene, all those word you know, all those entering commands and stuff went away, and they just have like menus and stuff. So that's they they're executing the same prompts and things like that in the background, but you, it's it's done by a GUI, so a, a yeah. graphical user interface now. So it's just different. Yeah. But
1: so you know, it's sort of funny as you think back to technology, you know, forty five years ago. So, um. Yeah, you know, we're like, man, that's not I mean that's not I mean, that's not that amazing, but in the moment in nineteen seventy eight where the world was technologically, that was some big stuff right there. That's a, some breakthroughs. There. Especially yeah. the GPS and insulin stuff, which yeah, you know, we brought up twice. So <laughs>
2: it was so amazing. It should have been talked about twice. Yeah, yeah. we might talk
1: about the next episode. Just really emphasize it. We should. Yeah, we should.
2: That'd be awesome. Yeah. Every every episode from now on, no matter what year it is, we talk about insulin and GPS. Yeah. I love it.
0: I love it. <laughs> wow. But I mean, even, even yeah. spreadsheets and, and word processing, I, I mean, we, yeah. we, we think insulin's a big deal, but I mean, what office in this world isn't using one of those right now? Yeah. I mean, that's totally. crazy. Yeah. I mean, yeah, every
2: it's, it's what I was trying to do is I was trying to find technology that, that we have today that was rooted in 1978. So yeah. if you look at technology, I mean, it's, it's a, it's a pyramid. So older technology is kind of at the lower, lower part of the pyramid. And then it moves on up to the top of the pyramid, which is what we have today, but it's all built on older technology. It's kind of at the lower part of that pyramid. So 78 is kind of at the lower maybe middle part of that technology when it comes to computers or when it comes to video games, it's at the very bottom tier of that, of that technology chain. But yeah, it's pretty, pretty amazing. So yeah. That's awesome.
1: Thanks, Noel.
2: Yeah.
0: Good stuff, Noel. That was awesome. Enough wow.
2: quarters to go around the world 31 times. 31 that's, times. That's a lot of quarters.
0: I appreciate that's taking the lot. time to do that math because yeah. that,
1: that really puts it in perspective in its own little way. So That's, that's, cool. a, that's a lot of quarters.
2: That's a good visual. 660 million pounds of quarters. That's, that's just a lot. <laughs> so, yeah.
0: That's amazing. Yep. And and to think something that simple, I mean, to our, to our knowledge would make that many billions of dollars. It's like, what can we come up today that in 40 years will be worth billions? That's so simple in our minds, but you know, revolutionary. It's just, it's amazing to think something like that would happen. For sure. Totally. Uh, Good stuff. Good stuff, Noel. Thank you for running through that 78 technology with us. That's awesome. You bet. So what what do we got on the next docket, Steve?
1: So next docket is going to be a little bit of mashup. So we're going to talk, uh, the three of us are going to tag team uh, TV and movies. So um, we'll see how well we're prepared for that. And then do a little bit, just a mashup on just a variety of pop culture, cool things, random things that happened in in, uh, 1978. So uh, we'll have that on the next two episodes. So sounds good to me.
0: Cool. Very nice. I'm looking forward to it. Awesome. So, uh, I guess we'll what we'll do is we'll close out technology, and we will see you all in the mashup of TV and movies episode coming up next time. Excellent. We'll talk to y'all later on, everybody. See Take you, bye Bye bye. Bye. Thanks for listening to
1: the Wayback
2: Chronicles. All shows are written and produced by Noel, Keith, and Steve. Massive thanks to those who made these memories possible for us through the years. All songs, sounds, and effects have been attributed in the comments section and through links listed on waybackchronicles.podbean.com. We look
0: forward to taking you way back again in the very near
1: future.